Okay then. Hello everybody. When I went to university, just before I went to university, I got baptized. Great time to get baptized. Sets you up for the future. Anybody get baptized 15, 16, 17, 18? Cool. Great time. Uh, I was, like most 18-year-old boys, ready to conquer the world. Please, you unsee that image immediately. I've got a backwards cap on and everything. And I felt like I was ready to do anything. I felt like I was ready to be the best version of myself that ever lived. I was going to go to university. I mean, I'd just been baptized, right? So I was going to go to university, go to church like eight times a week, pray, read the Bible. I've just been a constant state of prayer. I was going to walk with Jesus. I was going to dance with the Holy Spirit. This is how you dance with the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual gift I have. You can see me afterwards for a tutorial. And I had boundaries I was going to set for myself. I wasn't, I wasn't going to go to nightclubs and get drunk. I wasn't going to have cigarettes. I wasn't going to hang out with the wrong people. I wasn't going to do any funny business. I had plans. I had goals. I had dreams. And I was like, God, I'm ready. Take me up. I'm ready. But 18-year-old me was a little bit overconfident, shall we say. Got a little bit complacent. First year of university, friends I chose to hang around with, they loved to party, they loved to go to nightclubs, they loved to have a lot of alcohol, too much alcohol, and these were the people I was hanging out with. Did I go to the Christian Union? Once. Did I regularly go to church? Not really. Did I read my Bible and pray regularly? Not that often. Did I avoid going to nightclubs? and drink alcohol? Not really. Did I walk with Jesus and dance with the Holy Spirit? The only dancing I did was at the occasional nightclub. And trust me, that was not a pretty sight. You did not want to be seen with me anywhere near a dance floor. Your street cred would never recover. There's just no redemption from that. So I got tipsy once. I got tipsy twice. A few more times, and before I knew it, I had demolished so many of the boundaries that I'd set for myself before university, the boundaries that I'd set for God. I knew I didn't want to be doing these things, but I did them anyway. I did them anyway. And after the tenth time, I had a little bit too much to drink, and I'd been counting because I was feeling very guilty. Well, a little bit guilty, not guilty enough not to do it. But I felt something change. I felt, I was praying about it. I was praying about it, and I felt Jesus speak his truth to me. And I, it, it kind, of, kind of hit me hard. And it was saying, Jamie, you're not putting me first. You're putting you first. You're compromising on your values. You're compromising on me. And it hit me really hard, right in the chest, and it wouldn't let go. It wouldn't let go. We all make well-intentioned plans for ourselves, don't we? and set boundaries that we're going to keep. For example, at the turn of a new year, we're going to eat less, exercise more. We're going to spend less, save up. And how often do we struggle to keep them up? Because we're only human after all, right? And we make boundaries for God, too. We set boundaries for God. Like, I'm not going to worship other gods. I'm not going to murder anybody. 
I mean, I feel like those two are pretty easy, all right? I'm drawing the line at murder, God. It's going to be really hard, but I'm doing it for you, God. I'll all wait my reward. But some of the boundaries you set for God are maybe a little bit more difficult to keep. I'm never going to be dishonest with this person. Or I'm never going to lose my patience and lash out in anger. I'm never going to put myself into a situation knowingly, putting myself in a situation where I would face temptation and to do something that I shouldn't do. And so we come to the final letter of the, this series that we're covering at G2. Uh, Christian spoke about uh, the church in Ephesus and Jesus being our first love. Hannah spoke about Thyatira and sexual sin. And Luke spoke about, not Tardis, that's a different church, Sardis. <laughs> not, not that church, guys. <laughs> Luke spoke about waking up in faith. And today we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 2, verse 12 to 17. If you turn with me in your Bibles, it'll also be up on the screen in a, in a few minutes. And Pergamum was a rich and powerful ancient Greek city. And they had a message from Jesus that was quite challenging. So it's only six verses, but it's quite a dense six verses. So we're going to read through it together and then unpack what Jesus has to say about these verses to us today. So if we have the verse up on the screen, please. To the angel of the church in Pergamum, write... These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught King Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. I will thank God for the reading of his word. A challenging passage, right? But let's try and break it down and see what Jesus has to say. So to the angel of the church in Pergamum, that's to, the angel is the senior leader of uh, each of these churches. So for us, it would be Christian. And Jesus starts with a message to commend them, to encourage them. He says, you live in a dark world where there's loads of sin and temptation, where Satan has his throne. And yet, even though you live in this dark world, you stay true to me. You don't deny that you follow me. Antipas was uh, a bishop of some kind, and he was martyred for what he believed, for believing in Jesus. And even after that, the people in Pergamum stayed true to Jesus. They didn't renounce his name. And so Jesus commends them for that. But he's about to give them some tough love. He's about to rebuke them and challenge them very directly. And he says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. I don't know about you, but if I meet Jesus one day, I kind of don't want him to say, I have a few things against you, Jamie. It'd be pretty scary. But 
After this word of encouragement, he rebukes them because they've fallen into sin and temptation. And he talks about Balak and Balaam. These are two characters from the Old Testament, from the book of Numbers, which covers some of the story of the Israelites after they had been freed from Egypt, but before they had entered the promised land. And King Balak was king of the Moabites, and Balaam was an advisor of his, kind of like uh, a, a pagan prophet of sorts. And King Balak hated the Israelites, and he was scared of them. And he asked Balaam to do his pagan prophet thing and curse the Israelites. But Balaam said no. But he did have, Balaam had an alternative suggestion to the king. And he said, let's let the Israelites bring ruin upon themselves. We're going to send in beautiful Moabite women to entice all of these Israelites into sin. And sure enough, the Israelites were seduced by these Moabite women into sexual sin, sex outside of marriage, and into eating food that they were sacrificing to their pagan gods. And the Lord's anger burned against them. And just like the Israelites, the people in Pergamon were falling into sin and temptation in this dark world. Although they, were, they didn't renounce the name of Jesus, Jesus was saying to them, you're not living according to the way that I want you to live. You're not following me. You're not following in my ways. Your boundaries are shifting. Your boundaries are shifting. And then Jesus goes on to say, likewise, you have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans, we don't really know too much for certain about them, but we do know that they are, were some kind of sect of Christianity that had heretical practices that didn't really follow in the ways of Jesus. And Jesus hated them. A bit earlier in the chapter, Jesus talks to a different church and says, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And we don't really know exactly what that means, uh, what they were doing, but Jesus hated them. And Jesus goes on to say, repent. And he asks them to seek forgiveness. He doesn't judge them straight away. He asks them to seek forgiveness and says, if you, if you do that, if you repent, then I'll have mercy and you'll be spared from judgment. And Jesus finishes with a line that we see quite a lot in these letters, whoever has ears, let them hear. And he talks about this hidden manner and this white stone, which is a bit mysterious, but it's basically about blessing. Manna was, to the Israelites, heavenly food that God sent down to them to sustain them. And the hidden manna here probably refers to Jesus as the bread of life that sustains forever. And the white stone with a new name may be a little bit more mysterious, but the new name probably refers to Jesus. And the whiteness and brightness of the stone probably symbolizes his righteousness and perfection, or perhaps cleansing from sin. But whatever the case, this message is about blessing. And Jesus is saying to the people in Pergamum and to us today, if you repent, if you follow, if you listen, if you walk in my ways, there is incredible blessing, incredible blessing available. Eternal love, eternal life. So Jesus specifically calls out two things in this passage, idolatry and sexual sin. But I think there's a bigger picture in this passage. He wasn't really just talking about those two things to the people in Pergamum or to us today, I don't think. There's a broader picture of walking in Jesus' ways in every aspect of your life. So I will talk about idolatry and sexual sin a little bit, but there is a bigger picture here. Now, we live in a world, don't we, where so many things can become idols. And I don't mean making an effigy and bowing down to it necessarily, more 
things that we love and focus on so much that we hold them in our hearts more dearly than we hold Jesus. Like in my first year of university where I had so many other priorities and Jesus was somewhere near the bottom. And we live in a culture that's so sexualized and it's normal for a newspaper to have on page three uh, a topless woman. And it's normal for mainstream TV shows like Game of Thrones to be littered with sex scenes. There are so many temptations in this world, aren't there? And boundaries are constantly shifting, shifting away from Jesus. Has anyone seen the film Alien? Great film, fantastic film from 40 years ago. But I was surprised to find out it is rated 18, in fact. And I was just thinking if it was released today in 2020, it would definitely be a 12, maybe a 15 at the most, right? Boundaries keep shifting. And music videos, video games, more violence, genetic manipulation, that's a thing that's happening. And every year, what's considered ethically acceptable keeps shifting. The goalposts keep moving, slipping and sliding. I was reading uh, an article last week of uh, a woman who was on a plane who was reclining her seat, and then the man, a man sitting behind her started punching the chair to get her to stop reclining. And she'd taken a video of it, and put it on Twitter or the internet somewhere. And yeah, we had a lot of responses going, oh, this is abhorrent and this guy should go so violent. But then half of the responses were saying, were defending the man, saying he was right to do that. And just think, how in this culture can that sort of violence be acceptable? But the boundaries keep shifting, don't they, in this world? Boundaries in relationships have shifted too. And the things I'm saying is completely non-judgmental. There's no judgment here at G2. I'm just trying to share some of what Jesus might have to say. And in this culture that we live in, marriage and sex are so often, the attitudes towards them are so often shifting and boundaries are moving away. Marriage these days is so often seen as just a milestone and not a lifelong commitment. And even among Christians, physical intimacy boundaries can be relaxed or not even present. You know, why can't we just have a little bit of fun? God will forgive us. Now, Jesus and God talk about sexual sin quite a lot in the Bible and almost every book of the New Testament. And why is that? Well, I think it's because... One of the big reasons because marriage and sex are two beautiful and pure things that God has given us. And two things that God makes perfect if respected. And in this culture that we live in, that beauty and purity and perfection of these two things are so often left kind of bruised and blemished, and even among Christians. And that's because boundaries keep shifting in the world. Boundaries keep shifting away from Jesus. And Christian boundaries are also following. The boundaries in the world are constantly shifting away from Jesus. And Jesus is challenging us, challenging us to not follow the world, to follow him, to not redraw our boundaries where everyone else is redrawing their boundaries, but to redraw our boundaries closer to Jesus, to the way that he wants us to live. In 1 John chapter 2, It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. We are called to be different. We are called to be different. We are called to not just follow what everyone else is doing, but to do what God and Jesus wants us to do, to live our lives for Jesus. Now, as I was reading the passage in Pergamum, in, uh, in Revelation, about the church in Pergamum, I noticed three things. Three things stood out to me about Jesus' word. Jesus' word is truth, it is direct, and it is mercy. Now, Jesus' word is truth. Back at university, my first year, I felt Jesus' truth hit me. And Jesus' truth was, you're not following me. You're not walking with me. You're not going to church enough. You're not praying and reading your Bible. You're not communicating with me. You're not hanging around with the right people. And that truth hit me hard. And the thing about Jesus' truth is that you can't change it. And you can't change it. Yeah, but, no, but, because, no, I couldn't make any excuses. You can't change the truth, but the truth can change you if you let it. And what could be more true than the words of Jesus, right? Jesus' word is direct. To the people in Pergamum, he didn't mince his words. He said, I have something against you. It doesn't really get much more direct than that. And as I was reading this passage and looking at the way Jesus introduces himself with the sharp, double-edged sword, and in chapter 1, it, it says, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. And that's a, a strange and scary image of a sword coming out of, of Jesus' mouth. If, could everyone just close their eyes for a minute and imagine with me standing you're standing alone in a space, maybe a completely white space, or maybe you're in a garden or in a room, and you're standing alone, and in front of you, two or three meters in front of you, standing Jesus, and he's looking at you, and you're looking at him, and you kind of have to shield your eyes a little bit because he's so bright and holy, and maybe you're feeling awe, or maybe you're feeling a little bit frightened, and you think, oh, what's Jesus about to do? Is he going to reach out his hand and say, I love you? But instead of that, out of his mouth slowly comes a sword, a sword that's bright and sharp, and it's slowly coming out of his mouth. And you're trying to move from the spot, but your legs are heavy and planted, and you can't move. You try and lean left and right, but the sword just kind of follows you, and it's coming out of his mouth towards you, straight towards your face, and it's within arm's length of your face. Now open your eyes. It's a pretty scary and strange image, right? A very scary image. And that's, and that's the word of truth coming out of his mouth that challenges us directly. He challenged the people in Pergamum directly. And I think he challenges us directly now. And sometimes it does, it can feel like a sword, the sword of Jesus' truth heading towards us. But Jesus' word is also mercy. He didn't judge the people in Pergamum straight away. He said, he gave them a lifeline. He said, if you repent and follow me and listen, then you'll be spared judgment, and instead you'll have blessing. Jesus' word is mercy. It is truth, it is direct, and it is mercy. 
Now, the image of Jesus standing there in front of me with this sword coming towards my face was kind of how I felt back at university in my first year. I felt that challenge. I felt Jesus' truth. I felt him challenge me very directly, and I couldn't escape it. And I prayed about it, and I prayed on it, and I knew that Jesus was telling me I had to do something differently. I had to set some new boundaries. And so... After the 10th time, I had a little bit too much to drink. I decided, okay, I'm never going to have alcohol again. I want to become teetotal. And the Bible doesn't say that drinking alcohol is a sin in itself, so that's not what I'm saying here. But that's where I felt Jesus wanted me to redraw that particular boundary on that day. And I started going to church regularly, and I started reading my Bible and praying again. And I stopped going to nightclubs and hanging around with the wrong people, and started trying to find the right people to hang around with. Not that we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't talk to anyone who's not a Christian, but I knew I needed to be among other Christians who could help me in my journey in faith with Jesus. I went along to Christian Union. I didn't go to church eight times a week, but I was in med school, guys. Give me a break. That nudge from God was just what I needed. That nudge from Jesus was just what I needed. And his word is mercy and grace. His word is mercy. And I asked for forgiveness, and Jesus gave it. I asked for help, and Jesus helped me. I didn't do this by myself. I needed that nudge. I needed that nudge from Jesus. And as I was thinking about this image of Jesus standing in front of me, I also kind of, as I was looking at this passage, I saw that image change. And as that sword was heading towards my face, I kind of saw Jesus lift his hand, grab onto that blade, that sharp double-edged blade. And his hand was bleeding, but he was holding onto it, and he turned that sword around and held out the handle to me of this sword. And he didn't say anything, but he didn't need to. Because he held out that handle to me as if to say, follow me. I will help you. You just have to hold on. Follow me. I will help you. You just have to hold on. There's a passage in Matthew 5, famous passage. And it says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is Jesus speaking. This is Jesus speaking to the people. And we are called to be different. Jesus sets a light in our heart, and he wants us to let it shine. We are called to be different. When someone who isn't a Christian looks at a Christian, sometimes they might be thinking, oh, I love how much peace and joy this person has. I love that they're patient and forgiving. I love that they've got a meaning in life, a higher purpose. And they might be recognizing and respecting some of the boundaries that this person may keep. You know, I, I love that they don't compromise on their values just on, and on their beliefs just to fit in. 
I respect that they love marriage and respect marriage and sex. We are called to be different. Jesus sets a light in our heart and wants us to let it shine. And part of walking faithfully with Jesus, part of walking faithfully with Jesus is setting boundaries. Part of walking faithfully with Jesus is setting boundaries. And where does Jesus want you to redraw your boundaries today in that walk with him? Where does Jesus want you to redraw your boundaries? You know, maybe it's recognizing a guilty pleasure and saying, Jesus, I, I don't want to indulge in this guilty pleasure anymore. Help me. Maybe it's saying, Jesus, I don't want to be dishonest with this person anymore. I need to come clean. Maybe it's saying, Jesus, I don't want to lose my patience and lash out in anger. Maybe it's saying, I know, Jesus, that at the start of this relationship, I'm going to have a conversation about boundaries. Maybe it's saying, Jesus, I'm not going to watch this TV show anymore. Maybe it's rethinking how you engage with a friend or a group of friends and saying, you know what, Jesus, I'm not going to engage in that activity anymore. Where can you redraw a boundary that will be pleasing to Jesus? Where does Jesus want you to redraw those boundaries and live in Jesus' ways? We are called to be different. Jesus sets a light in our hearts and calls us to let it shine. Jesus is challenging us directly. You know, the fact that Jesus is direct is actually a two-way street. You know, it's scary that he's so direct, but actually that opens up a bridge for us. With Jesus' directness, we get access to so much more. We get access to, through Jesus to God, to love, to freedom and forgiveness. We get access to help and strength. He knows we can't do this all by ourselves. So he makes himself and so much more available to us. Is there a boundary in your life that you could redraw today, this week? The boundaries in this world are constantly shifting away from Jesus. But Jesus is challenging us not to follow the world. He says, follow me. He holds out his hand and says, follow me. I will help you. You just have to hold on. You just have to hold on.